This is the Koa Bowie Show. Koa Bowie is an author, international speaker, and entrepreneur. He started his first business selling music CDs in high school at the age of 16. He then went on and built several businesses. He is the founder of River Design, a marketing company that helps businesses get more exposure online and offline. He has appeared on TV, radio, newspaper, and magazines from around the world. He has written and published several books and created various products. Koa Bowie is also an international speaker, corporate trainer, and speaks on topics of business, entrepreneurship, motivation, health, marketing, online business. You could check out his blog site at www.koa-bowie.com. And now, your host, Mr. Koa Bowie. Mr. Koa Bowie. So Stephen Harville and his company, Credit Ventures, has helped many companies around the world, including Apple, Pepsi, Samsung, and Wells Fargo in the areas of sales and business development. He has recently written a best-selling book called 21 Secrets of Million Dollar Sellers, which has helped many people around the world improve their sales. Today, I'm really excited to interview Stephen and pick his brains on what it takes to become successful in sales. So welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you so much. I'm uh, honored to have a chance to visit about it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for your time. I really appreciate you know you sharing your knowledge uh, with us today. So, um, so for those who don't know, um, could you please give us a bit, uh, a bit of background on on who you are and what you do, please? Sure. Um, I am the uh, founder and the and the uh, president of Creative Ventures. We're a strategic planning consulting firm uh, with our main offices in Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, we. We're in our 33rd year of doing this, so we've worked with companies all over the planet, been very blessed with a fantastic client list, and we work in seven key strategic fields. Um, All of the ideas uh, we originally developed, and then companies engage us to access those ideas. That's kind of what we do as our um, main source of revenue and our main value add to all the companies we get to work with. Mm. Yeah, so I saw the client list. You were working with Pepsi, Samsung, Wells Fargo, that must have taken a bit of time to, to drum up that type of business. So, yeah, yeah it, 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 though we were really blessed right out of the gate um, when I started the company, we, um, you know, we had Disney as our first client. So mm-hmm. it, was, um, it was one of those things that you kind of were in the right place at the right time. And then as the years rolled by, we were able to develop relationships and then those led to other relationships. And then pretty soon you've got yourself a bona fide company. And uh, that's kind of the luck of the way things went for us early on. Mm, okay. All right. So um, so I was reading your book, 21 Secrets of Million Dollar Sellers, and I think uh, you mentioned that you used to work in uh, corporate as a, in sales. Is that correct? You're working in the field of sales? No, oh, no. Okay. I've, really, I've really never been directly in sales myself. Mm. I, I did at one point. Um, when I was very young, get my real estate broker's license, but mm-hmm. I never really did anything with it. Um, sales just became one of those fields that we studied very closely as a company and organization and then developed the questionnaire that led to the content mm-hmm. that eventually became the book. Ah, I see. So you researched it and um, you, you, you interviewed lots of people and then you managed to get like the information out of that and then put that into like training packages and and also yeah, we yeah, yeah mm-hmm. we we were um, we're very very good at pattern recognition, mm-hmm. and I'm a scientist by education, and so you're able to find patterns. And, and once you know what a pattern is, you have access to the system that the pattern governs. Mm-hmm. 
And so a lot of the stuff that we do is based around this pattern recognition and then systemic approaches to it. So um, early on, I was uh, very interested in what the people that were really, really good at what they did, what they were doing. And then the goal was to kind of discover that no matter what you were selling, what was everybody doing that was basically the same? And that was the um, core strategy that ended up resulting in the platform that we have around sales. And then what eventually became the book. Mm. Okay. So you, you mentioned before that um, you, you've got a very strategic approach to things and you, and what you said just then about patterns as well. Um, I noticed that that's like a particular way of thinking where it's, it's all about finding different solutions and then, and then you just sort of like picking a path and then you execute. So that's, would you say that's an incredible type of skill that you need to adopt when, when you're approaching sales? Like, do you have to have that strategic type of mindset or, or anyone can type it, can anyone can just pick up this, this skill, even if they don't have that strategic mindset that you have? It's it that, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, I think there's um, a certain amount of natural, um, a natural tendency towards liking people and being um, able to recognize the value of relationships. But if you want to be a professional, and, and if you want to add the adjective top professional in front of it, um, it, it's a very systemic and hardworking element that those people do that build that. And so I, I do think there's a value in how you approach it and saying that these are the skills I'm going to build. This is the way I'm going to think. These are the patterns I'm going to follow. And if someone can give me those skill sets and those patterns that are already in play with people that are the best at what they do, then that mitigates the risk of pursuing some of that. And I think there's a lot of that in that success formula. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, so let, let's back up a bit. So. For, mm -hmm. in, in terms of sales, um, what, what common mistakes do you commonly see in terms of patterns that people make you know, when they're making sales? Like what, what patterns do you see that people can avoid? Um, well, let's take the, one of the largest ones is most sales professionals are horrible listeners. Um, they've been taught um, all along the way that whenever there's a bit of silence, they should fill that silence with more pitch for whatever their product or service is. Great sales professionals don't do that. They're very active listeners. They don't make that mistake. They've learned along the way that if they can listen, they'll discover what the inroads are to making a, um, a structured attack to what that client needs, what their needs are. And so I would say one of the mistakes that great salespeople do is they, is they, they talk a lot. They don't listen enough. And if you could develop that listening skill, that active listening skill, where you say, I'm going to pursue that, I'm, I'm going to stop, I'm going to, I'm going to activate my listening to what the client is really saying. I think that's one of the huge mistakes that people make. Mm. And another one is I, I think a lot of times they don't look at sales as a career. Um, you know, if you, if you go back and you say, if I could choose any career to be in, what career would I choose that has unlimited upside? And the only career that has that is sales. Um, you know, you can make as much as you're good enough to sell. And so I don't think they view it as a career. And when, and those that are pinnacle performers, they would tell you that this is their career, that they are in a sales career. So they build their skills. Um, they work hard at it. 
They attend conferences. They read books. They do all those things that make them better at what they do. And I think so two key mistakes is one, become a better listener. Mm. And two, this is really a career um, and you should treat it thusly. Mm. That's a really good point there. So it's listening and treating it like a career. It's not just a hobby. You have to really absorb yourself. Right into, into yeah, the really good ones do that. Um, mm. um, and I would say if there was one more, I would say take a look at anything you can do to simplify how a client interacts with you and the product. Um, a lot of people sell very complicated things, financial products, robotic surgery equipment, insurance policies. And the buyer, though they're familiar with the field, is really looking for the most simple approach to understanding that. And great sales performers simplify their approaches. They look for every opportunity they can to remove complexity from the model. That would be another mistake people make is, is they, their, their models are too complex for a buyer to engage rapidly in. So mm. the more simple something is, the more rapid the engagement is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember reading about that in your book. Um, you explained about the whole simplicity where, where um, the top performers, the top performer salespeople, they, yeah, they, sent, they tend to just simplify everything and, and just remove all of this, all of the additional processes and just make it, make it like just a one-step approach to, to making the sale, a one-step approach to just accessing the software, a one-step approach to, to doing whatever. So, yeah, that's a really good point that you've made there. When you do that, you will be amazed mm. at the results. Mm, mm-hmm. um, but that's a skill set too, right? The ability to thoughtfully reduce something so that it's at its, it, it, it's not, as Einstein said, it's not too simple. Mm. It's just the right measurement, kind of like the Goldilocks measurement of simple. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. Um, okay, so you also, okay, so let's have a look at the career part of it as well. So how about, what, what are your thoughts on someone who doesn't have that much experience in sales? Um, they're in a completely different industry, but they really do want to branch over into sales. Do you think they'll be able to make it? For example, let's say you've got someone who's in IT and he's always in front of um, the computer, he knows how to code, but he wants to get in, into sales. Would you, would you recommend that would be a good path for this particular person to, to go into that career in sales and to build up from there? Would, is that limited to, to get into the well, industry? Or? Well, I think any, anybody can learn anything. Um, you, you know, if you gave somebody a violin and a year's worth of lessons and they, and they practiced a reasonable amount of time, at the end of that year, they'd be able to play songs for you on the violin, even if they had never held one before. I, I don't believe that there's anything that someone can't learn to do. Um, it, it's, a, it's about that accountability towards learning something new, right? You, you have to hold yourself accountable to that. So I think there are, I don't think there's anybody restricted from a movement from what they're doing now into the field of sales, provided they're willing to do that work, provided that they're willing to gain an understanding of what the skill sets are associated with it. And if you think about your IT example, the the guy in the IT department has spent years learning how to code. Mm -hmm. He knows exactly where to go, right? Mm -hmm. So that same level of commitment has to follow him uh, or her if she were pursuing that in sales. But I don't believe there's anything that someone can't learn to do. Now, you may become good at it. Maybe you won't be great at it, but you can be good at it. And making a living being good in sales is really, really, really a great goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like what you said uh, earlier about it's, it's really scalable as well. There's no limit to it because with sales, um, 
there, there is no ceiling to your income. Like you could just pick up any product, any service, and just go out there and sell it. But when, let's say you're in an IT job or you're in some type of nine to five job, um, your income is just limited to the amount of hours that you work there. So I think, right? Yeah, what you said about the the scalability part of of sales and everyone should get into it. Um, yeah, is a really valid point. That's really good. Yeah, that's sal- sal- there are salary ceilings where mm. most in most sales, though certain companies have restrict, you know, there are certain restrictions. Most of the time, it's up to you, right? It, it, you're accountable for the outcome, mm. and and when you get to do that, when you're involved in a product you believe in, a product you understand, you understand the relationship between the buyer and and their needs. It, it, most of the time, it's it's unlimited, right? You can make as much as you can sell. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. All right. So um, the next question, like, how did you, how did you come up with the idea of, of writing the book? Like that, <laughs> that, that day when you decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to write this, this book about sales and, and I'm going to interview these people. You know, I had no intention of ever writing a book. This is our, this, the content in the book is our sales strategy platform. And a, a company a, a approached me, had heard me present the ideas and said, boy, this, is good. this would be a great book. And our company will help you write it. Our company will uh, market it. They'll design the cover. They'll get it into bookstores. And, and our fee is $60,000, U.S. dollars. And mm. I went, what? <laughs> I go, you, you want me to pay you sixty grand? I write the book. And then I said, well, I'm not interested in doing mm. that. I said, thanks for, I'm flattered that you would think that, but I'm not interested. And it made me think a little bit about the idea. We had already written another smaller book that Amazon Press had done for us. And then I, and then I thought um, I would contact a friend of mine who was a literary agent in New York. And I mm-hmm. said, hey, Lynn, um, this guy talked to me about it. And she said, do you have an outline for this? And I said, no, not really. She goes, give me an outline, you know, do this. And I sent it to her and she said, Steve, I can sell this book. I guarantee you I can sell it. You know, why don't you go ahead and do a full proposal, which I didn't know how to do or didn't even know what it was. Mm. And I hired an editor to help me do that. And she went out and called me and she said, there's going to be a bidding war on the book. There's yeah. seven publishers that want to do this. And I kept thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Um, and then the next thing you know is she calls on a Tuesday morning and says, here are the seven proposals. I think we should go with Simon & Schuster They've been doing it for 120 years. They know what they're doing. They're top professionals. And I went, it happened like so fast. Mm. And uh, she goes, you know, you, this is serious. When you sign this contract, you know, you're going to have to actually write this book. <laughs> um, and I work. went, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an ex-surfing scientist tennis bum. Mm. And I went, um, God, that sounds like, uh, you know, really serious. And it turned out to be really serious. And we ended up signing with them. And I I kind of taught myself how to write a book, and I had a great editor and an unbelievable agent and a team at Simon & Schuster second to none. And the next thing you know, um, you know you've written a book. Uh, and it was, um, it was an incredible experience, a ton of fun and, and, and you know, a lot of pressure. And, and you know, we had the research, but it wasn't really in the form that you need to do research for a book because it was never intended to be a book. So I had to you know, I had to dig around for old data and um, uh, and elements like that, and mm-hmm. then you know, nine and a half months later, you know, it's a manuscript. Yeah, it's um, yeah, I, I bought the book uh, this year actually. I was just traveling and 
I uh, went to Australia and then um, I uh, sorry I went to Perth and I saw it and what really got my attention was the headline and, and the, the book cover obviously um, just I really love the headlines it's 21 secrets of million dollar sellers it's just it just pops right out and um, yeah you would it I, yeah. that's funny you would say that because that of course wasn't the original name of the book oh, um, yeah. It was, a, it was originally called Repeatable Successful Acts, The Power Behaviors of Million Dollar Sellers. Mm. And I, I love the RSA because you could just call it RSA, Repeatable <laughs> Successful Acts. Um, but, uh, but Simon & Schuster didn't like that at all. And turns out when you're a first-time you know, writer for a major publisher, uh, you don't get to choose the name of your book. You know, mm. I'm, I'm sure Stephen King gets to choose the name of his book, but mm. I wasn't going to get to choose. So... Um, and it turned out to be they were brilliant, right? They knew exactly what they were doing um, when they changed the name. So it seemed there was a bit. It of, got you to buy it. Oh yeah, yeah, it got my attention because <laughs> I always go to bookstores and and um, you know I'm always scanning the the latest books and just yeah this one really just yeah it just stood right out and then I straight away I bought the book in this other sales book and um, yeah then I went to Fiji and then I was just lying by the pool just reading it and I'd really like it how it's just I've got it in front of me how it's just written is just really um, easy to read and it's nicely organized. Thank you. Yeah, it's... it's <laughs> Thanks, it's, I'm uh, honored. Yeah, I finished it. I actually finished reading it in, in a day. I was just like, I was just, I read the whole thing and then I blogged about it and wrote this really long blog post about it. It's really good. So, yeah, you've done really well. Well, that's, that's as good an endorsement as I'll ever get. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's a fantastic. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to, to share share this book with more people. So... But there's also a really, um, that, I think it was on the first chapter or the second chapter, it talks about um, the Jordan formula, about that yeah. one. I really like that that, um, that analogy. So could you please uh, share with us what, what the Jordan formula sure. is? Sure. Yeah. That's, that's based on um, Michael Jordan. People would say arguably the greatest player in the history of basketball, but certainly one of them. Mm. Um, Michael, as good as he was, was always the first person at practice and the last one to leave. Even when he was an MVP and an all-star and an NBA title winner, that despite his skill sets, he always worked as hard as he possibly could. And we saw that pattern with lots of, uh, with almost all of the 175 people we interviewed um, for the book. Well, we really interviewed 200 and chose 175. and it's that idea that if you put your energy into getting better at what you do, um, and if you think of learning kind of, uh, as a Austin Kleon once said, l- learning is the verb of life, and, and you then realize that out of all the stuff that goes on around you, your, the markets, the government intervention, the change in interest rates, the rise and fall of markets, you have no control over any of that. But the thing you have control over and you always will, is how good you are at what you do, how hard do you work at your skill sets, and how do you treat your clients. And those two things you will always have control over. And so the Jordan formula is basically saying if you have control over that, there's no excuse that you're not getting better all the time. Hmm. And what are you doing to get better? How hard are you working at that? Because all of these sales professionals that are at the pinnacle of what they do, they're constantly getting better. And that's kind of what that chapter was about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's all about focusing. So you're saying it's all about focusing what you can control and just um, just being aware that there's other outside factors that is not in your control and just avoid that or just prepare. Yeah, you have thing. no control mm-hmm. over any of those product mix, mm-hmm. divisional elements, whatever, but you will always 
control how good you are at what you do okay. always okay so so um so you mentioned that um, by observing these people who were really good um who became top professional salespeople, um for, from from your analysis how long did it usually take on average how many years or or months did it take for them to yeah they great yeah, there were there were not a lot of really young people in the study. You don't you don't get to be mm. at the top of your game out of the gates. Now there are, there were there were, there were younger people, but these people were seasoned professionals, um, which is which is really what you need, right? You you need to have um, something that you can look backwards on, that then helps you plan for tomorrow, right? So so a great performer has a string of yesterdays that you can ask about that you can study. And then those elements, which become these 21 power behaviors in the book, then create the plan for other professionals that are reading the book, that are looking for advice to plan their tomorrows. And so in order to get that richness in the study, most of these professionals were what I would call seasoned. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a great mix gender-wise. There was a great mix um, you know, nationality-wise in the study. We only had one um, criteria. There was only one filter, and that is you had to be the top at what you do. You had to be at a minimum in whatever you judged as a million-dollar producer in your company for us to get to to really want to talk to you in this particular study. Mm-hmm. So you interviewed um, a whole, a, a complete different mix of people, and you get all this information. And then, how about in terms of age? Do you think age is a limiting factor of, of this one? I don't think it's it. I don't think it's limiting, but I think it's hard. You know, you know if you look at a, a, a million-dollar sales model and you say you're coming into the industry and you're a $200,000 producer, and then you're going up this curve, right, and the next thing is maybe 300000 to 500000 and then five to seven fifty, seven hundred fifty, and then 750 to a million, and then to a million plus, right? If you're following this curve, right, you can see that you're making these different pinnacle leaps um, within the context of whatever um, you're making the leaps within the context of sales numbers, and that takes time to do that, mm. um, right? And and companies focus a lot, right? They want that five hundred thousand dollar seller to become a seven fifty seller, and they want that seven fifty to become a million seller, and so they focus their energies and times around those moving people along that line. And there are people in that model that are very satisfied at the 250 range, right? Mm-hmm. They're happy being a $250,000 producer, and you need to have those people. Um, it's the people that we were interested in are the ones that progressed up that curve. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just thinking there was, um, I went to this meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I spoke to this person. He was in recruitment, and he hires lots of different um, people in, you know, in sales and everything, and he said, he said something, I don't know what, if it, I think it's a limiting belief, but he said that he, he believes that sales is like a young man's game, you know, where, where you know, they, they'll just hire like people in a certain age, age range, and then they'll get these people just to talk to this particular type of, of people, you know, I mean, what are your thoughts on that one there? I think I, I would probably respectfully disagree a little, right? Mm. If you're recruiting for a sales position in a specific field with specific knowledge of a specific product or service, mm. you're going to want someone that's been there before. That's right, yeah. Mm. Now, if you're, if you're bringing somebody in to start them at the lowest level, that's different. 
but a person that's been there before that's built a book of business um, has taken time to do that. Mm. Um, and so when you're recruiting someone like that, you're recruiting someone that's a seasoned professional. Um, and it happens all the time, right? Guys move laterally from one company to another within the context of the same service or product. Um, but as far as it being a young person's game, it, I don't think age is as limiting as experience is. You know, the, mm. I don't know. Do you know who Tony Hawk is, the great skateboarder? Skateboard, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tony Hawk's like the greatest skateboarder that maybe that, that's ever lived. Mm. When he was about 11 years old, he was the greatest skateboarder on the planet at 11 years of age, right? <laughs> wow. But Stradivarius didn't build his best violin until he was 87. Mm. I'm not sure that age is something that you look at. I think you look at um, desire, enthusiasm, skill sets, elements along that before you look at age. Mm. That's really great what, what you just said there. You, instead of looking at just that the age as a number, you just look at the the, ex, um, the desire and the experience. Yeah, obviously, yeah if you look yeah, at yeah. They found a, a sketch of Michelangelo's that he did when he was 80. And at the bottom, he wrote, I am still learning. This was, the, this was Michelangelo who said, I'm still learning. He, he wrote at the bottom of a sketch. So there's that aspect that that's a constant deal, right? Mm, it's just okay. a constant deal. Yeah, okay. Um, how about, let's, let's talk about, how about motivation as well? Because obviously... Uh, people in sales, they're getting out there, they're generating leads, they're, they're talking to people, but obviously you're going to get rejected as well, and therefore it can affect um, their motivation levels. So from, from your research and, and your analysis, like these top performing salespeople, how do they, how do they motivate themselves to, to get over it? Do, do you see that they do some type of technique that's, that's more effective yeah, than other people? Or? Anybody in sales spends mm. the majority of their time in the realm of no. Mm of no, I don't want this, no, I don't need this, no, I don't want to take your call, no, I don't want to see you. They spend their time in no. In fact, there's probably a thousand no's to every major yes. So you, ha you, you have to understand that that's just part of the deal, right? It, it, you know, if you're going to be a runner and you're running in the heat, you're going to perspire. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hard. It's just the nature of that element, right? And so... Um, in the, in the book, we, one of the chapters is called Embrace the Dark Side, and, and it's about that idea of embracing the fact that you get no's. Every no is a learning experience, right? Mm. Every no teaches you what to do to get to the next yes. And so, and it's, it's and, I, and I know this, I hate this, this saying where people say, it's not personal. Um, uh, everybody takes those kinds of things personally. And so those that, that can build upon them, that can just say, you know, I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm gonna, not going to approach it like this. I'm going to approach it like that. And that every one of those no's became something that they learned to build their bridge to yes on. Those are the most successful salespeople. If you're going to be beaten down, and at the beginning, believe me, everybody is beaten down by no. Mm -hmm. um, there's, you, you, there's no avoiding it. It's as natural as breathing is in sales. You just have to be able to understand what the perspective of that means and that each of those opportunities that come in there, and of course it's easy to say that when you're, you know, when you're in the whirlwind of no, it's hard to grasp your head around that. Um, but all of those things are learning. One of the guys in the book had a wall in his office, and on the wall was every no that he had, he had received. And it was, a, it was a wall of negativity. 
And on it, he would look at it before he would go out on a sales call. He would look at the wall and he would remember, don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake. And while he was doing the interview, a guy walked in and said, hey, Bob, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were busy. I wanted to take a look at the wall. It was another salesperson who wanted to come in and look at all the negative elements that he had posted on the wall so he could build his skill sets and his sales presentation around those. You just – yeah, there, there's um, – and, and it destroys a lot of sales careers early mm. on. There's a lot of people that don't make it out of the no. Mm. So, so, it's, it's, so what you're saying, it's all about reframing the, the no instead of looking at it as uh, um, – it's like a personal attack or, or something that will, will bring you down. You try and reframe it into into something positive, like um, putting the nose up on the wall and, and using that to motivate you to, to get past it. And to, yeah, to I think that's that. a learned aspect mm. of sales. Mm. It, in, in this career, that's a learned aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to be, you, you know, you need to be prepared for it. And if a company doesn't prepare people for that, it's shame on them. Mm. Okay, okay. So, what about the um, the top three techniques you would recommend for people to follow in order to prove their sales from the from the top of your head? Well, it, okay. If you're looking, and let's think of this as skills, right? What are the skills you want to build? Um, I'll tell you one skill that is um, critical, and and that is you have to understand the impact of story, what okay. story has. Um, and if you can become a good storyteller um, and build the context around what you're doing within a story, you'll make connections a lot faster uh, and an unbelievably level of time. It's the oldest strategy known to man. Mm. Story is about 60,000 years old used <laughs> as a tool to transmit information, right? Mm. And so the idea that you can understand that stories are crafted that stories are told, that a story has a beginning, a middle, and an end, um, that, there, that there's structure to it. Those people, I will tell you, to a person, everybody that was part of this study, they were all outstanding storytellers. Um, they used story to connect with their client. They used story around their product. Um, they used story to uh, show examples. Um, all of that element was based around story. And if you notice in the book, the, the book is filled with little stories. Um, uh, it's mm. a the technique that we use. We, we teach, we've taught story for 20 years now. Mm. Um, that's one skill set that anybody can learn um, to be a better storyteller and to use story as a sales tool. That would be um, one key element, I think, to it. Mm. Mm. Um, the next element is you, you've really kind of got to love the product or service that you're associating yourself with. Um, if you don't, it's almost an immediate, uh, the buyer senses it immediately. So y- you've got to actually like what you're selling to be really good at selling it. Mm. And if you don't, you might as well go find something else as fast as you can, mm. because it's going to be a terribly limiting factor to your success. So I, 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 those are two things that pop up you mm. know, right out after talking about listening and simplification. And elements like that. Mm-hmm. And slow down. And that would be down. the other one. Okay. Slow down. People always think that speed is an intricate part of element of these elements. And and we have a um, speed should never exceed thought. That's one of the sayings that we use in my company. Mm. Um, and it should never outweigh thought. 
And what people want more than something fast, they want it right. They want it correct. And good sales performers manage speed real well. Okay. So instead of just going fast and, and trying to you know, speed up the process uh, so quickly, just slow down, um, try and like take it, yeah, don't, it don't manufacture it like in a, like a machine type of way, but just exactly right. And, and they'll tell you that, uh, no, 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 no speeds, the, the mm. difference between success and failure. And I will tell you it hardly ever, that's virtually never true. Mm. What's the difference between success and failure is how you think and how you perform. Mm. And you cannot do that moving at the speed of light. Yeah, I really like um, how you've you you have this approach where you can really analyze something, and you can it's really amazing how you analyze uh, all this information, and and you can really bring this out and and just grab all the gems from. It's it's like a kind <laughs> of confusion. You can really. It took a long time. It took you know yeah. it, the the yeah, it, it, and we we have this in almost all of our strategy platforms, right? Mm. So we've got the strategy platform on story. We've got a strategy platform on idea development, mm. on simplicity, on strategic planning. Mm. And all of them are built around the same architecture mm. um, that we built the 21 Secrets around. Mm. So can you tell us a bit more about that one, how you've got the strategic um, services that you offer for... for about know, strategic... Pl uh, about planning. the planning yep. platform? Yep, yep. Um, the, our, our strategic planning platform is called Elegant Simplicity, mm. and it's about um, taking very complex strategic planning and, and reducing it down to a, a three-part model. One of the threads that runs through everything we do is nothing, no system, no process will ever exceed three parts. That's the barrier of simplicity. Um, when you hit four, it's the beginning of complexity. And so, so everything we do is geared around the, these three-part processes, right? If, if we were smart enough, we'd be able to figure out how to do it in two, which is way better than three. And one, well, one is the pinnacle. One is the light switch, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody ever questions how to use a light switch. Um, that's the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. But our strategic planning platform, the Elegant Simplicity, is based around a three-part process of taking a look at what you're planning, um, and, and in a nutshell, um, it is, where are you now? Mm. And that's all planning. The problem with planning is most planning starts with where they want to go, mm. where you want to, what's the, what's the big goal? And that destroys the effectiveness of a good strategic plan because you always have to start with where you are now. So we call this current reality. Mm. We begin all planning around whatever you're doing with where you are now. So kind of think of it like if you were booking a trip somewhere um, on a travel site online, um, you know, you want to go to the Bahamas mm. and, and you start planning. The very first question that's going to be asked to you are, where are you leaving from? I, mm. I, I can't plan anything unless I know where you are. So it starts with that. It then goes to an analysis of the goal structure. And then we allow three actionable points to move where you are to where the goal is. And it's a, an, a, an unbelievably simple approach to something that people make way too complex, mm. way too complex. Um, and I don't know why business does this all the time. And I'm glad they do because it keeps us in business. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that they, yeah, we were just in Ohio. Colin and I were just in Ohio on a strap planning project in which we were looking at what was going on. We had to say, stop a minute. Mm. 
you're struggling to explain this to me. Mm. It's so complex, you're struggling to explain it to me, mm. to explain it to us. It's way too complex. So let's start the process of making this a little more simple. Mm. And I'll leave you with one last thought on that, and that is don't confuse the word easy and simple. They, they often get interchanged when they mean two completely separate things. Easy means a lack of effort. Simple means a lack of complexity. And so what we're working on is not something that won't require a lot of effort. We're working on something that has removed complexity. Mm. So it's like um, you're providing more clarity in the business where it, you're providing them extreme clarity where they have set milestones and objectives to achieve through your strategic planning methods. Is yeah, we give them a, we give them a, um, yeah, we give them a platform. They have a systemic approach. They have a model. Um, and then they, and then we work with them as they end up, um, applying the model. Mm, that's great. All right. Yeah, it's really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. How about, um, are you planning on writing any other additional, additional <laughs> books or creating new courses or, that's, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I get, we get that all, uh, that's the most I'm common sure question. <laughs> Lots of people. Yeah. yeah. What's the next book? Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know, um, uh, I, I don't know if I'll write another book. Uh, it was really fun. Um, a lot of people write business books because their their business needs the book. We really didn't need the book. We already have been around and doing what we're doing for a long time. But we do have six other idea platforms that all could make for really interesting books. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's a really good question. I I have no idea if I'll write another one or not. Mm -hmm. I know my team in Dallas would really like me to do another one, <laughs> it's a, it's but I'm not sure one. yet. Yeah, I'm not sure yet if, um, um, you know, yeah. it, it's a strangely solitary thing, mm. um, writing. Mm. And, you know, we have a monthly newsletter that goes out to thousands and thousands of people. We have a regular blog, so I'm, I'm always writing. Um, it, it's just the, the continuity of writing that creates a book, right? It's the mm. connected ideas. Uh, so I don't know. That's a, I get asked that all the time, and I always answer, I don't know. Mm. And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. the only answer I have. I don't know if I'll do it. We've got plenty of ideas for them. Unbelievable research. Our mm. leadership platform alone, we use the exact same model that we created, the 21 Secrets, um, in, in a year and a half, two years later, when we went back and interviewed the leaders of all the companies that were involved in the study and um, found the 11 power behaviors of all those leaders. These were the 11 things that all of the leaders were doing, no matter which of the organizations they were leading. Mm -hmm. So that we call that the DNA of leadership. That, that, could, be enough, that could be the next book if mm -hmm. I end up doing one. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, think, I, um, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting what you said earlier about how um, you, know, you were talking to Lynn, and it was just the idea of, of writing the book just came from there. It's like the universe just sent you this uh this idea and then you just acted on it and then you did it it wasn't really planned right so and yeah the, the world is yeah. uh, what did sherlock sherlock holmes said the world is filled with obvious things which nobody by chance ever observes <laughs> and this was kind of one of those things that that was just an obvious it, it was obvious to everybody but me and then the circumstances just kind of happened but i will tell you you have to recognize a circumstance right opportunity which is, which is a favorable junction of circumstances. And, and so it, the opportunity was there. Um, and you've got to kind of be used to looking for that and seeing, knowing what that looks like. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, we were able to do the, 
the, the book. Um, and then we had such a great team. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, my agent and, and Lauren, who was my editor, um, who was brutal and honest, um, Colin, who did an unbelievable job freeing time by running the company where I didn't have to run the company and I had time to write. Um, and then the love of my wife, the love of my life, who would let me go down to the office and say, okay, I, I need four hours, you know, to do this, um, to do it. So the, the, a lot of those things happen. If you didn't have a good team behind you and, and people that were supportive along lines like that, I would think it would be 10 times harder to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, actually, well, me and Colin, we were exchanging emails and I can just see through his professionalism and and um, what he does, it, it just really reflects on, on the quality of work that, that you do. In, in I have team. to fight yeah. constantly. All of our clients constantly want to hire Colin away from me. <laughs> oh, really? And I have to say, he no, he's not away. available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. not interested. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's he does really a great, great job. Great job. All right. So how can um, people co- um, reach you and, and, and contact? Uh, oh, sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, our website is um, Creative ventures.com you can sign up for the newsletter get all of our back stuff watch all of our videos um, all of that stuff is available on the website you can sign up for anything if you just want to contact me and send me a note I answer all of my email every single day it's steve at creativeventures.com and you can just send me an email and I'll answer your email if you have a specific question wow that's fantastic so the, the website is creativeventures.com and your email creativeventures.com yep. and steve at creative ventures is my email address and if you have any questions or you want to visit or run something by me or something like that just send me a note Fantastic. i travel almost every week and so i'm in all these different time zones and sometimes different countries mm. but i'm i'm always have access to my email mm. fantastic well um yeah I, look i really appreciate your time today steven so um thanks for being on the show and you know i really oh. wish you all the best uh, for future endeavors and and it really has been my honor, <laughs> and yeah, and if I can do anything to help you, Cole, just send me a note, contact Colin, and we'll do it again. Great, fantastic. I really appreciate that. All right, thanks a lot for that, Stephen. Really appreciate it, mate. You're welcome. Thank we you. look forward to hearing your final product, and 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 I was honored to get to share ideas around the book. So Great. thanks. Great. Thank you, sir.